This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. How do we reconcile our desires and hopes and dreams even when those things aren't necessarily the best for us and yet God still gives it to us? How do we reconcile that? Isn't God supposed to be a good God? Isn't he supposed to be a loving God? Doesn't he care? Well, I think our passage today actually addresses this. This is 1 Samuel chapter 8. You can turn with me there. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then comes 1 Samuel. What I want to do today is look at this passage and ask three questions. And these three questions are, what happens when something displeases us? What happens when something displeases God, and what difference does it make? What happens when something displeases us? Let's look at verses 1 through 6. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. What do we know about Samuel? Well, in the beginning of the book, we know that his parents are Elkanah and Hannah. And if you remember, Hannah was barren. That means she couldn't have any children. And so she pleaded and pleaded and pleaded with God. And God opened up her womb and blessed her with Samuel, who she devoted and dedicated to the work of the Lord all his days. And so Samuel served under Eli, a priest, who also had two sons, but his sons were wicked and evil. And God said, I'm going to kill your sons because they are utterly sinful. And so Samuel is being brought up, growing in knowledge and wisdom. He's a man that Israel looks up to. 
a good judge, a prophet. And now, what do we see? His sons, well, he's getting old. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to appoint my sons now to be the ones who rule over Israel. But his sons are wicked. They're evil, just like Eli's sons. And so the elders of Israel come to Samuel and say, Samuel, you're old. Now imagine how that must have felt. And on top of that, your two sons, they're wicked, so they're unfit to rule over us. Up to this point, Israel did not have a king. If you read through the book of Judges, you'll actually see over and over and over and over again that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So Israel's a theocracy. God is the one who rules and reigns over them. And he had appointed judges, and now Samuel. But we actually have to look back to Deuteronomy, because now Israel is asking for a king. But Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14, tells us this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you. They could do that. However, listen to this. Whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him as he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statues and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So Israel can ask for a king, but it had to be whom the Lord chose. And so that's the actual issue here. Israel has a desire to have another king. They want a king that will judge them. They want to be like the other nations around them. However, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations. Israel is discontent. They're not satisfied. 
Perhaps they're looking for security because guess what? Earlier on in the book, we see that they actually lost against the Philistines. So they want perhaps a king that they can see, visibly speaking. Right? They couldn't see God. And so they want a king that they can see, that they can touch. Perhaps they're looking for security. Once we have a king, then we'll be okay. It'll give us a sense of security. We'll have a foundation. And so in their discontentment, their displeasure of Samuel and his sons, they tell Samuel, we want a king to rule over us. And so what does Samuel do? Let's look at verse 6. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? In his displeasure, right, he, wasn't, he wasn't happy that this happened. He actually took his, perhaps, pride that was hurt because they told him he was old, and pain and perhaps sorrow, And he actually presented it to the Lord. Think about it for a second. When you are discontent, when you are saddened or troubled, what or who do you turn to? What is it that is your your hope, your security? Perhaps a relationship has gone crazy in your life. Perhaps your children are turning away from the Lord. Perhaps you, children, don't know what you're going to do with your life. Where am I going to go to college? Who am I going to marry? Will I even get married? My relative is sick. A close family member or friend has died. Where is it that I turn to? Samuel turns to the Lord. The only one who hears his prayers. The only one who actually cares about him. Israel did not care about Samuel. They know he's about to die. But Samuel turns his eyes to the Lord. What is your response? Who do you turn to? There's an old song called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there's one part in there that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. What's the reason? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How often am I worried 
and anxious and talking with myself rather than going to the throne of grace where Christ intercedes on my behalf and desires that I come to him in prayer. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would be a people who would turn to God in prayer. Perhaps you are upset, angry about this election. And so you are angry and frustrated talking to all everyone else except God. Regardless of what happens. And you don't take your concerns to God in prayer. I wonder how we often are more displeased about what happens in the political arena rather than in our own hearts. That our hearts need to be transformed by the grace of God. So Samuel turns to the Lord and he prays. And what does the Lord say? Because this was probably not a good thing, right? As we'll see. What happens when something displeases God? Let's look at verses 7 through 9. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Here's something that we can cling to. God was not surprised. God doesn't change. He's a steady anchor for the soul. And so God was not surprised or shocked or, or phased or taken aback by Israel's desire. They actually had been doing this over and over and over and over and over again. Ever since God brought them out of Egypt... And so when you see Egypt in the scriptures, you think back to what happened in Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved under Pharaoh, in bondage. And so they cried out to God. And the gracious God rescued them, brought them through the Red Sea into freedom. And then what happened shortly after that? They complained. Oh, that we can go back to Egypt 
and have all the choice foods. Do you not realize you were enslaved? You were in bondage. And you want to go back to that? They were forsaking God. They were serving other gods. Even while they were waiting for the the Ten Commandments to come down with Moses, Aaron, the priest, makes a golden calf and says, Here, O Israel, is your gods that brought you out of Egypt. And they worshipped an idol, a false god. And in the first two commandments, we see that God alone is to be worshipped. He alone deserves full allegiance, not any other gods. And so Israel is doing the same thing over and over again. And as God tells us in this passage, it is not a rejection of Samuel per se, but it is a rejection of God himself. They don't want God. They want something else. And so God actually tells them, tells Samuel to obey their voice. However, in his grace, he still tells Samuel to warn them. To warn them of what is about to happen if you take this route. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. And notice how often the text says, he will take So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousand and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. This king is going to take, 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 take. Their livelihood They're family members. All they're going to be doing is work and work and work. And so what does God do? He actually gives them what they want. 
So we wonder, how is it possible that God can give the Israelites something that is not good for them? How is that possible? It's because God, one, can do whatever he wants. And sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend. God is free to do whatever he wants according to his nature. And his nature is that he is good and perfect and trustworthy and faithful. This is the same picture that we see in Romans 1. A passage you can read later on. Where the world is described as wicked and sinful. They're doing things that are contrary to God and his word. And so what does God do? Three times Paul says he handed them over to their sinful desires. You ever wonder why it is that people do not trust in Jesus? Why is it that people do not believe in Jesus? Why is it that people aren't flocking to churches? You know what the reason is? Because men love darkness. Men love their sin rather than God. Romans 1 tells us that humanity hates God. And so if this week you're trying to talk to a friend or a coworker or a family member about Jesus and they want nothing to do with it, it's because they don't want God. They love their sin. If they realize and believe that there's a God, that means they have to submit to him. At the end there, Samuel says, you shall be his slaves. Again, what a picture of Egypt, where they're in bondage, slavery. And did you know that Egypt is actually a picture of slavery to sin? There's no freedom it's oppressive. It takes you captive. And why do we think that sometimes this sin is going to be different? This sin will make me feel better, will give me a sense of security. If I only had this, just fill in the blank, I would be happy. If I only had this, I would be truly satisfied. If I can only get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, 
If I can only get married, if only my marriage was better, if only I could have this great job, if only, if only, if only, if only. And we think that this thing is going to make us better. The Bible tells us that sin only leads to death. All your desires, all my desires that are contrary to God and his word, there is no satisfaction in them. We sometimes believe this lie that it will give us a sense of joy. It'll make the world a better place. But everything that is opposed to God is death. So what difference does it make? Let's look at verses 19 through 22. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So even in their warning, they still don't listen. They still want something else, something that they think is better. And Samuel actually still prays. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Even at the end of Samuel's life, he says, Far be it from me that I should sin against God by not praying for you. And so God gives Israel what they want. And so on the surface, on the outside, externally, their next king looks great. Chapter 9, verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. So that's what you need in a king, someone who's handsome. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. It's all about good looks. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So good looks and height. Great king. And if you study the book of Samuel or have read it, Saul was not the right king. He builds a statue in the honor of himself. He does things that only priests were commanded to do in sacrifices. 
But Israel continued to reject God. And as you read through the Old Testament, and yes, I'm encouraging you to read the Old Testament, you will see that God punishes Israel. However, though, you have to go back to what God tells Abraham and Moses. He makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And at the end of Deuteronomy, he says, if you obey, you will be blessed. This is not salvific. It's not for salvation. It's not that you obey and then you get to heaven. What is he speaking about? He's speaking to the nation of Israel. If they obey the law, they will inherit the promised land. However, if you disobey, there will be curses. You will be cut off from the people of God. And we see this over and over again. People disobey, and they get wiped out. And so finally, they're now in exile. They're punished by God, taken captive by their enemies. God judges Israel. And then as we continue to read through the scriptures, we see there's another rejection. It's a rejection of God in flesh. John chapter 1 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this word was with God in the beginning and that he is God. However, he came to his own and his own received him not. His own people, the people of Israel, rejected this king. And not only Israel, but the whole world. The whole world stands condemned and guilty before God because they have rejected his son Jesus. And so if you are not a Christian, you're thinking, I don't even believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God. Why do I need God in my life? Look at all that's going on in the world. Is there even a God? Friend, there's a really big problem. And it's actually not external. It's not what we see in the world. That's just a manifestation of what is actually on the inside. It's actually the heart, your heart. And the only way to be free from that is to actually bow the knee to the true king. To the true king, Jesus Christ. And so this rejection of of Christ led to him being put up on a cross. 
although completely innocent. This sinless king takes sin upon himself. A king who was rejected by his own people, by his own disciples. All his followers left him. And so he's hanging on the cross, bearing the punishment of his own father for the sins of his people. But this king who was rejected by man has become the cornerstone. God raised him from the dead, and he is now seated on his throne in heaven as king who rules and reigns over all things. So after he resurrected, he goes to his disciples and he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's a king. And guess what? Since he's, ki- he's a king, he has a kingdom. And his kingdom is composed of people. People who have been giving a, given a new heart who have all their sins forgiven, wiped clean because of his blood. And this king is different. The only thing he takes is your sin, and he gives of himself. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You're set free now to obey God and to love him and to love other people. And so this should humble us when we realize that we deserve one thing, and that is hell. We of all people should be most grateful for all that God has given to us. And then secondly, it should remind us that we should be content with all that we have. If we have food, we have clothes, We should be satisfied. Why do we want more and more and more? And guess what? You, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have it all in Jesus. Everything is yours in Christ. So in an imperfect world, a fallen world, we long for something much greater. However, it's not found in material things, It's not found in things of this world because these things are temporary. They don't last forever. It's actually found in one who is eternal. One who actually gave himself. And this king is one that will actually never reject you. How comforting is that for the Christian That Christ will never cast you away. Christ will never reject you. You can't lose with Christ because Christ has already won the victory and he's coming back for his people. Let's pray.
Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this time that we can listen to your word, uh, we can hear it preached. I pray, Father, that you would give us greater understanding of who you are. That we would be a people who are constantly seeking Christ and running to him, knowing that he will never, ever turn us away. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers. And I pray, Lord, that you would be Glorify today. Would you bring many sons and daughters into your kingdom this morning? Be kind in leading them to repentance and faith. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and Mediator and Friend. Amen.